The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about The Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Well, good morning. How are we doing? It's good to see you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. If this is your first time, like Pastor Trinity said, um, I'm Pastor Matt. If I haven't got to meet you, I'd love to meet you in the lobby after the service. And uh, Pastor Trinity talked about that Connect card. If you wouldn't mind filling that out, putting that in the giving stations on your way out, just so we can reach out to you. And thank you for coming and get you some more information about, about who we are and what God's called us to do here. I know uh, that searching for a church is a, is a big task and uh, it's not one to take lightly. So uh, make sure that you get information, that you're informed, ask questions. And, you know, I'm in the lobby. Um, we have a welcome center. Ask questions, man. Understand, understand what you're getting into. Um, and then we do some classes uh, called the core class. And that's kind of the defining the relationship talk. Um, if you want to go that far. And so uh, we'd love to get some information to you. I want to thank everybody who through August, or August, we're in August now, last month was July, who through July served at Agape. That was an incredible month. Um, there was a lot of food cooked and, and the, the grill got a lot of use. Several years ago, we were donated a trailer with a smoker and a grill, and we decided to put that to good use. And Three years ago, Agape Meal said, uh, we're going to close in, the, in July because our kitchen staff needs a break. And... Um, we're just going to close. And so we're like, well, we want to be a part of this. So we've got this big grill, this cooker, and we've got guys that love to barbecue. So we said, we'll cover it. So I'm so grateful we did. And thank you for being there. Um, I love, I love being at Agape. I love what they do and I love who they are. So if you've never been, let me encourage you. We're going again this Thursday night for our normal uh, first Thursday time. We're not cooking, but we're serving. And uh, it's at Broadway Baptist Church. We meet there at 530 and uh, we will train you. Your kids can come with you. It's a great opportunity for your kids to serve alongside of you. So uh, it's a good time. So I'd love to have you out. Um, if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. Uh, Terry Kaywood spoke and uh, it was an incredible teaching and I was blessed by it. So if you missed that, go back and podcast it. You will not regret that decision. So thank you for doing that. Um, and uh, I would love to have you teach anytime. I know you're, I'm kind of just looking into the abyss. I see you back there. I would love to have you anytime. We love you. The creek loves you. Um, and uh, so uh, we're gonna get into Romans chapter nine today. We're gonna try to get a little bit more headway in this. I'm gonna just confess this to you that Romans nine is probably one of the most difficult chapters I've ever had to work through. My pastor, I was on the phone with him this week and uh, we were just kind of catching up and he's like, so where are you in Romans? He said, I just think you're, I think it's awesome that you're doing that. He kind of made fun of me a little bit and, um, and uh, he said, where are you at? I said, Romans nine. He goes, man, you ought to come preach at Mosaic for me this week. And I said, yeah, you wanna come preach for me? I said, because Romans nine is tough. It's one of the most difficult chapters. And, and honestly, there's one that, that causes a lot of debate within theological circles and doctrinal discussions. And uh, we're gonna kind of step through that today because I want us to get through some truth of what God is teaching us and uh, I know that we have people in the church that, are, that, that fall in different camps of, of doctrinal and the, theological thoughts. And, um, and I know that some of you would really love for me to go your way on this, but I'm going to teach it right down the middle. And I'm going to teach what God is, is teaching us in this chapter. And uh, so I want you to be able to learn how to process through the word of God and understand how to apply this to your life. So we're going we're gonna to look at this as the nation of Israel. The apostle Paul's writing this letter, the Romans, the book of Romans and the Bible is a letter written to the Rome, Roman church, first century Christians. 
And the way they came together is the gospel, which Paul earlier in Romans says is the power of God unto salvation. So what you've got is you've got people that are submitting their life to Christ and the gospel is changing their lives. There be, I mean, it, it is just, it's transformational, it's revolutionary, and you have just a movement starting out of Jerusalem through the Son of God who is Jesus Christ. After he was crucified, resurrected, and ascended, you have the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two and the gospel just goes viral. And what happens is it ends up reaching Rome and you've got these believers that gather together. They, they, they are the church and so um, and they're wrestling with some things and Paul, the apostle Paul, is, he does a beautiful job under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in training us throughout the New Testament. He writes letters to churches to help us with doctrinal issues, church behavior issues, kind of maturity issues because when we're born as babies, we have a process of developing and maturity. When we are born again, when we become a Christian, when we, we are transformed, when we're regenerated, however you heard that growing up, most of you heard the term born again. If you're new to church, let me explain to you what that means. That means when we put our faith in Christ, that we are then made new. The old is gone, the new has come. We're a new creation in Christ. Scripture says that we are born again. Jesus explained this to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And what has to happen is we have to start this process of maturity in our faith. And the Apostle Paul writes letters to New Testament churches, um, or New Testament churches. They were churches that became the New Testament. And he's writing letters to help us in this, this journey of maturity. And so uh, Romans is one he's writing to the Christians in Rome. And this section, he's helping them understand that God has a perfect plan and has had one from the beginning of the world. Now, I, this is August, and, and this is zero month for my family's major transitions. See, my family, we don't do things halfway. We like to do it everything all at once. I mean, when we launched the church, in that week we launched the church, we, we launched the church, we had sold a house, we moved into a rental house, and we moved our oldest daughter to Canada. So we like to do everything big, all transitions at one time, you know? I mean, it's just like, you know, drink from the fire hydrant. Well, that's happening again this month in August. Two weeks from yesterday, my oldest daughter gets married, and then on the 23rd, my youngest daughter, we pack her up and send her off to college. She's going to, to A&M, whoop, and so I had to get that in there. And then, and she, so, so, so I should charge her 20 bucks. If you know the story, if I tell a story about her, I got to pay her 20 bucks if I don't get her permission. Well, I'm going to charge you 20 for what you said to me before I came up here to teach. She goes, Dad, you know, this is the last time I get to hear you preach before I go to college. I'm like, oh, and she goes, you better make it good. <laughs> oh, the mic went off on that. She didn't cuss at me. <laughs> she said, you better make it good. So it, it ain't me, baby. It's all the Holy Spirit. But she's going to learn how to podcast. Um, so, but through this month of transition, God is reminding me and calling me constantly back to this reminder that he has had a perfect plan that he has seen this month from the foundation of the world. And he's seen these transitions in my life from the foundation of the world. He has seen everything that's happened in your life, all the good, the bad, and the ugly you have gone through. He is, he is, it's not a surprise to him. He has known it from the foundation of the world, and he has seen it. And none of that has changes, changed anything about his plan being good and being complete. And he has seen 
He just reminded me the other day that he says, Matt, I have seen the completion of your days. I mean, I I was having a moment with God going, this is just, there's just a lot of tough things happening right now, God. And I know there's going to be good days coming and I know I'll walk through other tough days. And I just, I was just kind of just pouring it all out before God. And he says, Matt, I've seen the completion of your days. And I hope you understand what that means, not just for me, but for you, that he's seen the completion of your days. He has seen time from beginning to end. He didn't set anything in motion that he hasn't already accounted for in the end. God doesn't just set out and see, to see what happens. God is very intentional in everything he does. And in Romans 9, Paul's explaining to the church that that through the nation of Israel and the election of Israel and God choosing Israel, that he has had a perfect plan from the foundation of the world. And that is for the salvation of our lives. That is so the power of God, which is the gospel, can transform us into a new creation. That the old is gone, that we can live a new life fully in his righteousness. And he's made every provision to do that. And and Paul starts out with an argument here that, that if God chose Israel and Israel failed, then what does that do to God's plan? Because if you read any of the Old Testament, you understand that the nation of Israel has failed. It's a cycle that they, they, get in, they get out of the grace of God, they get in trouble, they're in captivity, they're in some kind of situation, and they return to God, they repent, and he's like, all right, so we're good, and then they enjoy this time of success, and then the next thing you know, they start riding their success, and then all of a sudden, they start forgetting God and forgetting his goodness, and they're back in this, this cycle. It's just like an unhealthy relationship, and they're back in this cycle, and God is just so beautiful and so patient with them, and every time Israel failed. God's plan never failed. And Paul begins to to unpack this argument in this. And then the question is raised, well, but if God is sovereign and he's in control of everything and he creates us based on his sovereignty, then, then why is he upset when we just do what we're created to do? Here's the reality. God is sovereign and we're called to submit to his sovereignty. That God is fully in control and we're called to submit our lives into that control. We're we're, we're to say, God, it's your will, not my will. It's exactly the model of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, if there's any way to take this cup from me, what he's talking about, if there's any way to save people and to bring people back into a reconciled relationship with us, If there's any other way than the cross, then dad, I'm all ears. He says, but nevertheless, I want your will to be done, not mine. From the foundation of the world, God had a plan for Jesus to be the sacrifice, to be the lamb slain so that we could have life, so that we could have forgiveness, so that we could have hope, that we could have restoration, that we could be the righteousness of God, that we could be fulfilled in him. And from the foundation of the world, he knew what would happen. And Jesus submitted his will to God's sovereign plan. So Paul starts to to really unpack this. In verse 19, he says this, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, old man, to answer back to, old, to, to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use 
and another for dishonorable use. Let me, let me help you unpack this a little bit. What, 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 what Paul is saying, he's starting out, is why does God blame people for not responding to his plan? Why, they're, they're just doing what God made them to do if this is the case. If God chose Israel and Israel failed, then why is God upset that Israel walked away from him? Why is he upset that they failed? Aren't they just made doing what God created them to do? And Paul starts to unpack this argument because he's really trying to help us understand that the plans and purposes of God are good and can be trusted. And we have a submission in that process. When we submit our will to God, we're saying, God, I I put mine aside and your will is better than I can have for my life. I trust your will and I know that it is better than I can imagine. I mean, I can tell you this, that I, I can come up with great plans for my life, but they pale in comparison to what God has planned for my life. Six years ago, I would have never dreamed of this moment. 15 years ago, if you would have told me I'd be in ministry, you would have had to bleep out the microphone. I would have told you absolutely what I thought of those crazy heroin-induced ideas. I'd be like, you need to go get some rehab and leave me alone. The reason I can talk about how much of a struggle it is to find a church, because I've been there. I've been out of it, and I can walk in and find the fault. And and honestly, God's plans were so much bigger and better than mine that I can't imagine my life anywhere, anywhere else today. And I don't know what the next five years holds, but I can tell you what, I'm going to submit it to God because it's going to turn out better than I could do it on my own. I have this great ability to screw things up. And God has this great ability to take this mess that is me and do something really fun, cool, and redemptive. And I want to be a part of that. His plan is good and can be trusted. What Paul's doing here is he's opened up this argument that really becomes a circular argument um, where we, we start to blame God for our inability to submit to his will. Well, God, you, you created me and you know all the decisions and you knew what I was going to do, so why did you let me do it? God, if you knew I was going to sin in this way, then why did, you even, why did you even make me? Why did you let me go down this road? And what, the way Paul explains this argument and, and, and this, this backwards thinking is, is to bring in this idea of clay. This idea of clay first came in in Jeremiah 18. When, when God is teaching us through the prophet Jeremiah, that says, I have molded you like clay. I have shaped you. I have formed you. And he's reintroducing this argument to say, How the clay has no right to say to the creator, why have you made me like this? I did an experiment with uh, middle school kids when I was a a middle school pastor and I gave them Play-Doh and they formed this. I said, just make a sculpture, just make something. You know, and after them trying to, you know, they're middle school kids, you know, they tried to eat it and it's in the carpet and, you know, I mean, they were 14, but you can really drop the one in front of their age sometimes, you know. So, I'm the same way, okay? I'm a guy. But they, they spend this time and they make these creations. And I, I said, now hold them in your hand. Hold them up in front of your face. And now breathe on them. And imagine in that moment that you're breathing life into what you've created And all the plans, all the things you were thinking when you were molding and forming it, you're thinking of purposes and you're thinking of the function and you're thinking of great things this thing can be. 
And then you breathe life in it and it has the ability to live out those purposes and all of those great plans that you had while you were shaping it. And then I said, imagine your creation looking back at you and saying, why did you do this to me? Why did you make me like this? For some, I said, maybe your creation's looking at you going, I don't even believe you made me. And I don't trust you with this. The clay has no right to say back to the molder, why have you done this? And we've all done this. I'm not alone in this. I've had those pity party moments with God of God, why did you make me like this? Why do I struggle with these flaws? God, why do I wrestle with these sins? God, why do I have trouble in these areas of my life? Why did you make me like this? And Paul's saying, and what God's saying is, you've got to trust me. Because I can tell you this, that when we trust our life into God's hands and he starts shaping and molding us, it's not always the easiest thing. We all want, we all want life. I was in Colorado a couple weeks ago and... and I had some incredible hikes and then some incredible scenic views. And I was sitting on the peak of one of the, one of the mountains I climbed. And I'm sitting there just going, man, this view is incredible. Why can't it be this good all the time? And that view was after a four-hour hike of wondering if I was going to survive. I mean, I started out, I could breathe okay, I mean, I've, I haven't spent much time in Colorado, but that, that's just a crazy thing. I mean, I, I'm not in the best shape, but I'm in okay shape, and I start hiking, and I, I sound, I'm like, <gasps> I'm like taking steps and having to sit down, and I'm just, I'm sitting there like, why can't it be like this all the time? Why does it have to be that difficult in the climb? That shaping and that molding that God puts us through can be difficult. It can be painful, and then there's moments that we get to reflect and go, God, you're amazing, Thank you that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you that you, you saw me, you formed me, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you. And then we end up back in that cycle. Why did you do this to me, God? And what I love about God is that he just stays so patient with us. And he, he, he makes us for his purpose. Now, Paul then goes on and he says, is it not God's choice? Is it not the maker's choice to make some vessels for honorable use and some for dishonorable use? And and this brings in an area where the enemy really likes to get in on us and tell us tells us that that God does make junk. That God would create somebody just to throw away. And let me tell you something, that's a lie of the enemy because what happens next, if you start believing that God makes junk and God makes something just to throw away, then he's gonna continue to lie in you and he's gonna say this, you're one of those. And he'll start taking you back through your life. The enemy will be like, think about it. You wonder why you're made like this. It's because God made you broken. It's because God can't do anything for you and God can't do anything in your life. And you start to believe that lie and it just sucks you into this abyss where you think God is just, you start to justify this. He's made me for dishonorable purposes. You start getting into the argument with Moses and Pharaoh because remember that's where this started a couple weeks ago with Paul that Pharaoh's heart was hardened and so we start to think, well, he made Pharaoh just as a throwaway so he could save his own people. God doesn't make anything for dishonorable use. 
It's our choice and our submission to the sovereignty of God that's going to lead us to the dishonor. You see, God is sovereign, which means he's fully in control, but it doesn't excuse us from responsibility. Let me read you this. Let me read you 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to start verse 20 and 21. You don't have to go there, um, but if you want to write this down to come back to later, you can. It says, for if after, wait, that's 2 Peter. No, I want Timothy. Those guys. I was wondering, I was like, this just doesn't look right. (laughs) Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So what's the key in the honor and dishonor here? It's our choice. Here's what we've got to understand. God doesn't create us to throw us away. God created us for his purpose. He created us for his glory. He created us for redemption. And he loves us. And we are made in the image of Christ. And through our choice, through Adam's choice, through our choice, We're born broken. We're born sinful. We're born into this system that's going to take the mercy of God to reshape us. And he starts to reshape us. And he says, you've got to make the decision to trust God with everything. Don't buy into the lie of the enemy. Don't buy into this lie that you're trash, that you're junk, and you begin to let him shape you and you begin to let him form you because let me tell you what he's ultimately forming you into, the image of Jesus so that it is holy character, so that it is holiness, that every time that we step out into the, the world and face the realities of life, we're facing that with the character of Christ. And God stays so patient with us. Paul goes on to explain this this idea of of God's patience. Let's go on. Um, Verse 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured much patience with, with much patience, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. So what Paul's saying is, he says, okay, let's, let's track this argument a little bit. But what if God has prepared people for his wrath so that he could make known his mercy? He's patient with those vessels. Now, here's where we go into this argument a little bit more um, because the purpose of God's patience is to reveal his mercy. When you look at Pharaoh, because we've got to step back to Pharaoh because that's really where Paul starts this argument. So did, did God create Pharaoh for destruction? You have to go back and understand the original Greek writing in this. The original Greek in speaking of Pharaoh says he fitted himself for destruction. That when you go back and read Exodus, you read the account in Exodus that God was patient with Pharaoh. He came to him over and over and through Moses, let my people go. Okay, you can go. No, you can't. So a plague comes on. Let my people go. Okay, you can go. No, you can't. So Pharaoh's playing this game. 
God is patient with him. God gives Pharaoh many opportunities. Pharaoh fitted himself for destruction by continuing to disobey and go against the word of God. And God continued to show his patience. Well, ultimately that patience is gonna run out. If you're a parent, you know what that means. Our kids have just this beautiful, natural talent to find the end of our patience and go one step further. And and we've all been there. If you don't have kids, it's a joyous thing. You're going to get to look forward to this. It is amazing. It's, It's incredible. But patience is one of those things that we all struggle with. I struggle with. I mean, I, I, I've met people that, that I can say, hey, you have the patience of Job, but I still struggle with patience. I struggle with patience in, in the grocery store because I always seem to pick the slowest line. I struggle with patience on the freeway because I always tend to pick the slowest lane. I struggle with patience in many situations a lot of my life. And you know what? And let me just tell you something. When you pray for patience, here's what God's going to do. Okay. God, did you hear me? I just prayed for patience. You gonna give it to me? Okay. God, when are you gonna give it to me? In my timing. When's your timing? How about a day, God? What's a day to you, God? It's like a thousand years. <laughs> if you pray for patience, you're gonna be put in, a, remember the pressing and the molding, you're gonna be put in a situation where your patience is going to be tested. Let me help you with something. I stopped praying for patience, not because he's going to place me in a situation where that's going to be tested, but I realized this, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. If I want patience, I need more of Jesus in my life. I need more of the Holy Spirit producing holiness and producing character in my life. When I think of the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, Because I'll go through times in my life, why can't I control myself? I need more of Jesus in my life, not more of any of the fruit. And when there's more of Jesus in my life and more of the Holy Spirit overflowing in abundance in my life, there's more of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. And I become much more of a patient person. And God is patient. He he, He is a character trait of patience. God is the epitome of patience as he waits for us. And he says, come on, son. Come on, girl, you can do this. I'm I'm, I'm doing this. I'm being patient with you to reveal my mercy in your life. Oh, the glorious riches of my mercy, that when you get a hold of this, that when you understand this, it's going to change everything. You think about God's patience through the Old Testament with the nation of Israel, the in in favor with God, out of favor. This one did good with God. This one did bad with God. This one did great and this one did poor. Now all this cycle, God is patient with them through thousands of years because at the right time, Christ was born. Culmination of his patience. In Acts chapter two, you see the gospel go viral. The ultimate purpose of God is, is so that the gospel could go out and change lives. Not just those who are Jews, who are the nation of Israel, but those who are Gentiles, those of us who are not born Jewish. Because he has a desire and he has a plan to save us and to see us through and to preserve us, to protect us and to be one with us. You know, I can look, I can reflect back in my life and see a lot of God's patience in my life. That there's a lot of times I should have been in something or out of something 
And it's only through God's patience that he's like, you're pushing me, Matt, but I am a patient God. You're wearing my patience down, but I'm patient. And I look back and how he's used that to reveal his mercy in my life. And then ultimately, what Paul is helping them understand is he says, all of this, all of the plans of God and purposes of God have been prophesied many years before us. He says, as indeed, he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. As Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though a number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a, rem- a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What he's saying is that, that God's plans will ultimately be fulfilled. It's been prophesied in the beginning. And this idea of, of just thinking we, abs- we, we inherit the kingdom of God based on who we are, Paul's defeating that, that idea once again because he says Israel's descendants are as numerous as the sand on the sea, but only a remnant are saved. How are those saved? It's only through faith. It's only through hope. And you're putting your life in Jesus Christ. It's this idea, let's bring this into our context. I mean, we live in Texas. This is the buckle of the Bible belt, man. And so I, I talk to people, and it's so fun when I'm in social settings because we'll be, we'll be hanging out, we'll be having fun, and then somebody says, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a pastor, and they're like, oh. And you can see their wheels turning. Have I said anything? What did I say? Have I dropped any bombs? And all of a sudden, they start talking real spirit. Oh, my grandfather was a Baptist preacher. Praise God. I grew up in church, man. Every time the doors open, I, so where are you at with your faith? Hey, every one of us could have a, a, a grandfather, a great-grandfather who's a preacher. Every one of us could have a praying grandmother. But you got to be born in a faith. It has to be your faith. And it has to be your submission to God's will. And it's, having, it's you taking ownership. See, this is, a, this is a concept that really tends to trip people up, this idea of, of election and predestination versus free will. And if you don't understand any of that, praise God, just keep studying the Bible, just lock in. But for the, I mean, we got people in both camps in our church. And, and I... I'm going to tell you where I fall. Because there are people who say it's predestination, that God, man, it's got God just boom, 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 boom. And people say free will. And, and I'm going to tell you where I fall. If you got them over here, I'm in the middle. I'm going to go Forrest Gump on this and go, I don't know if Mama was right or if Lieutenant Dan was right, but I think it's a little bit of both. <laughs> and, and here's how I'll illustrate that to you. God's purpose and plan is like a train that left the station from the foundation of the world. 
And God just didn't set off on this journey in this train, but he knew the destination. He knows where it's going. He knows every twist. He knows every turn. He knows every hill. He knows every valley. He knows every tunnel. He knows every, every rainstorm that's going to happen. He knows every snowstorm that's going to happen. He knows everything that's going to happen to that, that train as it's on its track. And God says, I set it in motion when I spoke everything into existence, and one day I'm going to see it on this other side of eternity. He sees it as completed. And so God has a plan, and it is perfect, and it is good. And here's where we come in. I have to make a choice. Am I going to get on, or am I going to get off? Am I going to live life obedient to the purposes and plan and promises of God? Or am I going to be a cop out and say, God's in control. God's got a plan. He made me this way, so I'm just going to be who I am. Am I going to live life responsible for what God's put in my life? Or am I going to be irresponsible with what he wants me to do? And here's what I love about the plans and purposes of God. In Philippians, we're promised that, that he who began a work in us will bring it to completion. And when we stand before him on the day of Christ, when we stand before him, I just don't want to stand in him forgiven and say, because of your profession of faith, you're my righteousness and come on in. I want him to say, you took the plans and the purposes I, I had for your life and you lived them fully and you gave everything you had. When I get to heaven, I want to be totally used up. I want to be out of breath. I want to be bruised. I want to be tattered. I want him to go, man, it's about time for that body to be laid down because you got nothing else in it. There's no more mileage left on it. Good job, son. And some of you are wrestling with this, that does God have a plan for your life? Yes, he does. He has a plan for every one of your lives. Jeremiah 29, 11, one of my favorite scriptures that he, he knows these plans that he has for you. Plans for welfare, not for evil, for good, not for harm. And he says, plans to give you a future and a hope. You might want to make a note in your Bible just to go underline that word and. Future and a hope. Not future of hope and hope of a future. But he says, I've given you a future and I've given you a hope. And when those come together, we're going to do some incredible things. So we've got to realize this, that God has a purpose for every one of us. And it's up to us to get on that train. So his purpose is given through his sovereignty. And then we live it out through responsibility. And it becomes our choice to submit to the sovereign plan of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your purposes, for your plans. And even when we face the most difficult, darkest hours of our life, we know you're working. And we know you love us. And we know that the intentionality of your plans are for the purposes of your glory to be revealed in us and to be revealed in those around us. And Father, I know today you're calling some of us to repentance. That as we've seen your patience in our life, it's because of your kindness and your kindness leads us to repentance. 
So we just lay everything down before you. God, forgive us when we question the goodness of your plan. God, forgive us when we, the creation, takes on an attitude to you, our creator, of why have you done this to me? Help us to submit to you. To let our lives be fully immersed in your hands for you to mold us, for you to shape us and form us into the most beautiful thing we could ever imagine. The righteousness of God. And in the image of the most beautiful thing ever. The image of Christ, our Savior. Father, help us to walk out your plans being fully responsible. We love you, we praise you, and we put ourselves in your hand only because of the mighty name of Jesus who made it possible. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Thank you.